my name is Dave Titus. Uh, my wife Lori and I have been in this congregation for almost a year now. And uh, we're grateful to God for allowing us to find a church home here at Grace Meadows. The reading today is from Psalm 32, verses 1 through 5. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. The scriptures are as relevant today as they were then. Amen. Thank you, Dave. Morning. How is everybody? Good. Man, this place emptied out with those kids. They are about to overrun us, aren't they? Which is a good thing. That's what we want, right? So, Well, good morning. My name is Dallas. If I haven't met you, I'd love the opportunity to meet you after the service and get to know you a little bit better. I haven't been up here much this summer, and there's a couple reasons for that. One, to give other leaders opportunities to raise up more leaders who, by the way, have all done a fantastic job this summer. And also give me just kind of the margin to uh, work on other things that are also important for our church. But I'm happy to be back up here with you, and I'm happy to start a new series called The Lifestyle of Biblical Characters. Now, we're not talking about things like avoiding bacon. We're not talking about cultural things like that, right? We're, and the bacon stays, by the way. So just to be clear, we're, we're all very thankful for Peter and that Acts 10. If you look, look it up, Acts chapter 10 we will be faithful to that chapter, right? So we're talking more about rhythms that are still very applicable to us here today. And so, um, so to get, get into that, let's back up for just a second. We talked last fall about the process of discipleship is really three things. One, it is to learn. Two is to become. And then three is to teach. And so, in that day, Jesus would say, follow me, which meant drop everything and come and learn from me. Now, there was a second step that often we miss, I think, today in our culture. It was to become like him. So, you drop everything, you would follow a rabbi or a teacher around, but then you would take that second step. You wouldn't go straight to teaching, you would take that second step to become like so if your teacher or your rabbi was sleeping, you would be sleeping. If your teacher was eating, you would be eating. It even went so far as when your teacher would go to the bathroom, you would go to the bathroom. Now that gets a little bit awkward, but that's how much, that's how much you really loved and were devoted to your teacher or your rabbi, that you wanted to become like that person. And of course, the last step is to teach others to do the same. And we're going to spend a lot of time in our life groups this fall. By the way, the life group signups are out, so if you want to sign up for a life group, go ahead and find that link and do that. If you have questions about that, just come talk to me or a leader about that. But in life groups, we're going to talk about that third step, about teaching others 
to drop everything and follow after Jesus and also to become like him. Uh, Now, I don't want to be too hard on our Christian culture here today, but the discipleship that we're kind of used to looks a lot different than learn, become, and teach. Often it looks like, number one, agree with the theology. So instead of dropping everything and following after him, we pretty much settle for a decision, right? I, I agree with this cultural norm, so make me be a part of it, instead of a conviction that comes. And then the second thing is, now that you've agreed with the theology, incorporate some religious activity into your schedule, which is a good thing to have religious activity into your schedule. It's just a far cry from becoming like our teacher, Jesus. And the third one is to make sure other people know you're a Christian, which is also a very good thing, just a far cry from teaching others to do the same. So during this series, we're going to be focusing on that second step, the one that I feel like is missing most from our discipleship today, which is to become like Jesus. And one of the best ways to become is not to simply just do, but to adopt the lifestyle of the one that you desire to become like. So I gave you guys an example a few months ago. Um, If you saw me exercising, bike, swimming, or running for about two minutes, you would think, wow, Dallas is a pretty good athlete and he's in really good shape. But if you extend it out just a little bit, maybe even just the three-minute mark or the four-minute mark, you would see me doubled over. You would see me gasping for air. All right, And about that hour mark, you would see me back home, probably laying down, done with any kind of exercise that day. Later in the day, you would probably see me on the couch, eating ice cream, watching TV, certainly done with any kind of exercise. I'm getting some head nods like, yep, that sounds pretty good. It is a far cry from those two minutes that you saw me exercising, right? That's the difference between doing and adopting the lifestyle. And so if I wanted to become, let's say, like a triathlete to bike, swim, and run, I would need to adopt the lifestyle of a triathlete, eating healthy, Exercising consistently, training, learning, getting good sleep, all those different things, it's a far cry from just doing, it's adopting an entirely different lifestyle. See, adopting a lifestyle is far different than simply doing. It helps us to become. So, to start our Lifestyle of Biblical uh, Character series, we're going to take someone today from the Old Testament who loved God, and then the next two weeks we're going to look at the life of Jesus And then the last week, we're going to take a post-resurrection person and examine his life as well. But this morning, we're going to talk about David. So there were certainly some rhythms, there were routines, there was a lifestyle of David that that there's really a lot of things we could have gone with, right? He was a person of worship, of praise. He was a person of acting boldly, all these different things, of trusting God. But the predominant one that we want to talk about today is that David's life was marked by repentance. It was not a singular event for David. It was a lifestyle of repentance. Example after example, we see in 1 Chronicles, we see in 2 Samuel, we see in Psalm 51, Psalm 32. Uh, We see it passed down to his son, uh, Solomon, in Proverbs 28, this idea of repentance, of repentance. Now, before we move forward, let's define what we mean by repentance. It is to rethink your thinking at its core to align with God's thinking. So it's not just at the periphery, 
It's at the control center. It's deep within us. It's the thing that motivates us. It's the thing that drives us. We rethink it in order to align with God. Just like the prodigal son, it says what? It came to his senses. Another way to say it is that his reasoning returned. And this is an important definition because it's, it's not just that we say we're sorry or even admit our sin. It's a whole other level altogether. It's deep within us. Another important uh, way to think about repentance is that it's when we decide that we want to ditch our desires taking the top spot and return back to agape love taking the top spot in our life. So when Jesus says, die to yourself, what he's saying essentially is die to the desires running your life. Your God is no longer your belly. Now submit to agape love running your life. And y'all, the only way to allow agape love to run our lives is through repentance. The overwhelming majority of sin is rooted in desire taking the top spot over agape love. In 2 Samuel 11, we see this theme of David deviating from agape love running his life to his desires running his life. There's really three crucial moments. It begins, the story begins with while kings were off at war. So it begins with his desire to stay home reigning over agape love, which would have been to be with and lead his people. And then with the lust over Bathsheba, it is his desire that takes control over him. But to agape love, Bathsheba would have been to turn away and to leave her alone. And then to agape love Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, would have been to preserve the family unit. But because desire was ruling over him to such a degree, he had to get this roadblock of Uriah out the way so he could continue in what he desires. So desire is creating this huge mess in David's life, right? And Nathan comes to him and he confronts him. And you should just read the story. It's just a brilliant way that he communicates to David his sin. And he confronts him. And now David's got a couple of options here, right? There are some ways that he can preserve desire being at the top spot. He could say something like, Nathan, when you become a leader of a nation... Then come at me about my sin. You have no idea what it's like to lead a country. So don't come at me with my sin. Or he could have justified himself. He could have said, yeah, but I'm the only one who would step up and fight that giant. I'm the one who went over and cut his head off. I'm the one who has killed thousands of Philistines in the name of God. So don't come at me about this one thing. And he also could have passed the buck on to Bathsheba, right? She shouldn't have been bathing where I could see her. It's her fault, right? He could have done all these things to preserve desire taking the top spot in his life, but instead he submits back to agape love with this statement in 2 Samuel 13. He says, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. You know, this is the most fundamental element to the Christian faith. This statement right here, I have sinned against the Lord. This must be our mantra. We have allowed desires to take the top spot in our life. Instead of submitting to agape love, I have sinned. The buck stops with me. I messed it up. Y'all, our biggest problem 
is not how we were raised. It's not what anybody has done to us. Our biggest problem is that we have sinned against the Lord. That's our biggest problem. And so many times people go through life thinking if the situation was just different, then it would turn out in my favor. Right? I've done this in my life. If I just transfer schools, if I just change jobs, if I wasn't the victim of so-and-so, then things would be better. But here's the thing that I've learned over time. That wherever I go, there I am. My biggest problem is me and my sin. Not anybody else. I have sinned against the Lord. I have been run by desire while God is run by agape love. In fact, is agape love. Y'all, if we want contentment, we must be a people who say, I, not my parents, not my coworkers, not my boss, not my friend, I have sinned against the Lord. And here's why that's so foundational. When we don't do that, we will continue to experience a heaviness, a conflict that we just were not intended to carry. Acts 3.19 says this. It says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. That times of, now highlight this word, refreshing may come from the Lord. I mean, you ever just say, God, I, man, I, I come before you and I have sinned against you. I mean, it's not anybody else's fault. There's no strings attached here. I have sinned against you. And then when you do that, experience just this freshness, this refreshing. David does this time and time again. Throughout the scriptures, we see him repent to God. And I'd love to go back through uh, what David read for us. Uh, Psalm 32, 1 through 5. says this, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Now skip down to the end of the chapter here, verse 11. David says this. He says, Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. So catch what happens here. So he goes from groaning and having no strength to rejoicing and singing. What was the difference here? Repentance was the difference. There is liberation in Repentance. When we realign our thinking with God's we, God's, we have a clear conscience in front of Him, and we can experience the freedom found in agape love. It is refreshing for our souls to rethink our thinking at its core, to align our thinking with God's thinking. And we weren't made to hold on to things or, or to be stubborn in the face of our sin. I have a I had a story I was thinking about this week when I was uh, working in the elementary school. I was a counselor. I was working at Abingdon Elementary, and there was a second grader who was about as argumentative a kid as I ever worked with. He was never wrong, and he was always angry and sad and, like, huffing and puffing. And he, he didn't really put it together that those two things were connected, you know, that you're always trying to be right, right? Well, one day... Um, 
One of the teachers calls me and says uh, that this kid hit another kid in the class. Can you take him? And I said, sure, you know, I'll take him and kind of process with him and stuff like that. And I, I asked him that question and I said, why did you hit that girl in your class? And I couldn't help but laugh at his response. It was so funny. He said, I didn't do it. And besides, the only reason I did it is because she was being mean. <laughs> like, wait a second here. Both of those things can't be true, right? He was so used to lying and defending himself that he didn't even recognize he was doing it, right? It was both of those things. And so I'm processing with him and stuff like that, you know, and he continues to just deny what happened because he kind of caught himself after that. And he's like, no, 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 I didn't do it. I didn't do it. And um, finally I said, okay, look, no consequences here, okay? I'm going to give you a pass this time. There will be no consequences. All I want you to do in return is just admit that you hit this girl and that you lied. And so literally 45 minutes goes by. <laughs> and, and finally he says, okay, I did hit her and I did lie. And then this big smile comes across his face. He said, whoa, that, that felt kind of good. I looked at him and I said, man, that's what I'm talking about. Yes, because I knew what was going on in his heart. And if you had been a teacher, you know, outside of my door thinking, wait, this whole thing started with him hitting another girl and then lying about it. And they're in there celebrating right now. You thought something's going on. But, but I knew what was happening in his heart, right? Chains were being broken in this kid's heart as he finally just submitted to a repentance for what he had done. And I'm afraid today that there is, there's so many chains that are keeping us from walking in freedom as Christians. And I think the biggest one is the chain of unrepentance. That it's always somebody else's fault. It's like the worst thing in the world to have to repent to God. And meanwhile, there's groaning, groaning, groaning. And our strength keeps getting weaker, weaker, and weaker. Like in Psalm 32, everything seems so heavy because we just won't address that thing. But y'all, there won't be enough therapy that can remove that heaviness from our lives. There won't be enough rationalization of what's going on in our lives. There won't be enough blame to go around that will make that burden less heavy. We can't blame anybody, our coworkers, our boss, our parents, enough to get rid of that heaviness. The only way to get rid of that heaviness is to come before God like the tax collector in Luke 19, which, by the way, God heard his prayer when he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God heard that prayer. Why? Because the pathway to freedom comes only through repentance. The pathway to freedom comes only through repentance. And that was the good news that Jesus came to share. That life and freedom can be found in repentance through his name. Luke 24, 45 through 47 says this. This is post-resurrection Jesus talking. It says, Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So the ministry of Jesus starts and ends with repentance. 
So if you go back to the beginning of Mark or you go back to the beginning of Matthew, you'll see Jesus and then John before him say, Repent, for the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repentance is foundational to the gospel. And for David, it wasn't just a one-time thing. This was a rhythm. This was a routine. This was a lifestyle of that statement. I have sinned against the Lord. And it didn't bring about shame. It didn't bring about guilt. It brought about freedom in his name to realign his thinking with God's thinking. I have sinned against the Lord. And in the meanwhile... Desires got demoted, and agape love got promoted to the top spot. So the question here today is, what about us? I mean, is repentance a lifestyle in our life? I mean, that's really the question that we have to answer today. When is the last time, with no strings attached, we just came before God and just said, God, I have sinned against you. I've been weighed down. These desires have been dominating over my life. I'm the one. It's not my friend. It's not my coworker. It's me. It's, it's my fault. I am the one. My biggest issue is my own sin before you, God. Not anybody else. Not anybody else. Who of us here is burdened? Who of us here is feeling weak or frustrated? Or anxious. Guys, I think it starts with our own repentance before the Lord. Because all I know, when you boil the faith all the way down, all I really know is that my sin was great, but Jesus is greater. And so today, as Grace Meadows Church, let's come together and repent. Say, I have sinned against the Lord. And watch as refreshing comes to our souls. Y'all, the altars are open if you need to respond in that way. Let's pray and we'll worship. Father, thank you for who you are. We thank you for the truth of your word and we thank you for stories and, and lifestyles like David's that just comes before you and just, you know, when he's silent, he's groaning, but when he comes to you about his sin and realigns his thinking with your thinking at, its, at his deepest parts, at, at the control center, that you liberate his soul and that there can be rejoicing and there can be uh, liberty and freedom in that. So, Father, I pray right now, convict our hearts. Maybe there are anxieties and things going on. We just have said, you know, I just if the situation just gets better, then, then I'll experience freedom. God, help us. If there's anything that we need to come before you with to say we have sinned against you, Father, I pray that you'll reveal that to our hearts in this moment right here? Are there relationships that are at odds? Are there issues that are going on that, that we just need to address? Starting with coming before you and saying, God, I've, I've sinned against you. And we're so thankful that you're a God of forgiveness and grace and that we can come back towards you. We love you very much. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and stand.